our Bibles this morning to John's Gospel chapter 14, John's Gospel chapter 14, and let me thank Brian for his kind words of welcome, and to Pastor Craig for his invitation to be with you again. It's always a privilege to come to Grange and open the Word of God. Never seen anybody turn a quicker shade of white than Matthew did. And you'll be glad to know I'm not going to fill the time. I'm not going to preach for 45 minutes this morning. But I do want us to look at these verses this morning. They're well familiar verses to each one of us. And I want to just look at some comforting comments from Christ this morning in John 6. And we'll read verses 1 through 6, please. The Word of God says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's keep our Bibles open there as we come around the Word of God. Let's just take a moment in prayer, please. Our gracious God and loving eternal Father, we bow with humility and reverence before thee this morning because we recognize that we need to hear from thee. And our prayer would be that you would speak to each one of us this morning that you would just address our deepest need, whether it's a word of rebuke, whether it's a word of comfort, no matter what it is, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and that we would be respondent to your word, that we would be, as James exhorted us, not to be hearers of your word only, but to be doers also. And we ask, Lord, in the words of the hymn writer, make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me thyself within thy word. Show me myself. And show me my Saviour, and make the book live to me, for we ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen. Benjamin Disraeli was a great British statesman of the late 19th century. And during his long parliamentary career, he rose through the ranks of the Conservative Party and eventually became the Prime Minister on two occasions. In his early days, however, he was known for his flamboyant style and his equally flamboyant dress, which made him a figure of ridicule. Added to that fact, he was born a Jew, which brought its own scorn of anti-Semitism in the Houses of Parliament at that time. And as he stood up in the House of Commons to deliver his maiden speech, he was hackled so much so that he couldn't be heard. And so he gave up and he sat down. But before sitting down, he bellowed out these words, Though I sit down now, the time will come whenever you will hear from me again. Those were true words. Those were, if you like, prophetic words from Benjamin Disraeli because, as I said, he went right to the highest echelons within Parliament and became the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. These verses that are before us this morning are prophetic words directly from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're comforting comments. He had stated that not only was he going somewhere, but that one day he would come again. And when he came again, there would be a glad day of reunion. Whenever separation would cease forever. And that as believers this morning, that is our 
blessed hope that one of these days Jesus Christ is coming again to receive you and I as his redeemed, as his blood-bought people unto himself, and there we will ever be with the Lord for all of eternity. Now, by way of background, as we come to our text this morning, it's Passover time in the land of Israel. The streets are jam-packed with various people. Families are coming together to celebrate this great feast. And so too were the Lord Jesus and the twelve apostles. They were doing the exact same thing. This is the night before our Lord Jesus would go to the cross. In just a few short hours, he would be in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would be betrayed by his own familiar friend. The soldiers would come and arrest him. The Lord Jesus has been speaking great truths in this upper room discourse, which starts back in John 13. And you might remember John 13, the Lord Jesus, he stooped to the level of a household slave and he washed the feet of his disciples. And then he went about exposing Judas Iscariot for the traitor that he really was. He gave him the sop. Now Judas has went out into the night. And now it's only the eleven regenerate, true, born-again men that are in the upper room with the Lord Jesus. And he's hammering home lovely, tender truths because he knows what lay ahead. He knew what Gethsemane would entail. He knew that the next day they would see their Messiah being crucified to the middle cross. And he knows all about what is going to happen. He knows that Peter will betray him. He's already stated that back in John 13. That Peter will betray him three times that night. He knows all about what his disciples will go through. He knows that they'll knock themselves away for fear of the Jews. And he knows their need. He knows their very heart. Brian said in in his opening remarks about how the Saviour knows us. He knows our thoughts from afar. And you can only go back even in John's Gospel. And you find out that the Lord Jesus knew exactly what was in man. You go back to say John chapter 1. And there you see Nathaniel. The Lord Jesus said of him that he was an Israelite indeed in whom there was no guide. And he was absolutely amazed because he, the Lord had never met him. And yet the Lord knew all about Nathaniel. And then you come over to John chapter 3 and you see Nicodemus, that religious man. He came to the Lord Jesus with all his pomp and ceremony. Yet the Lord Jesus put his hand on the pulse. He knew that he had a great spiritual need and that need was to be born again. John 4, there's the woman at the well. The Lord Jesus knew her past even though he had never met her. She knew, he knew how many husbands she had. He knew her present that the fellow that she was living with wasn't her husband. And again he knew her deepest need. That she needed that living water that only the Lord Jesus could provide. Then over in John 10, you see that the Lord Jesus knows His sheep. That's you and I this morning. He knows who his sheep are. He knows the needs of his sheep. And his sheep hear his voice. And he knows, dear friend, that need that you have in your life. And not only does he know it on an intellectual level, he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And so too he is with these disciples here 
in John chapter 14. And so he speaks these comforting comments to really meet them right at the point of their need. Something for them to hold on to in their darkest hour. The Savior is going to speak lovely words of comfort. But he was going to also reiterate the fact that he was going to be going away. That there was going to be a period of separation. That he was going to the cross because he must needs die on the cross. But not only that, that he would rise again and that he would ascend into heaven and that one day he would come back again. What an earth-shattering truth that must have been to so many of these disciples. I mean, so many of them had left their businesses behind. They'd left their boats, they'd left behind father and mother to follow the Lord, knowing that he was the Messiah. But yet from the Old Testament scriptures, they had that uh, expectation that he would overthrow the Roman occupation, that he would rule from David's throne, that his enemies would become his footstool. And now he said that he's going away. How that must have disappointed them. How their hearts must have been full of sorrow, their plans, their dreams, their aspirations. It all seemed to be crumbling in that psychological moment. The Lord Jesus has been speaking to his disciples about going away for about six months prior to John 14. And he's openly said that he's going to go away whenever he spoke to the Jews. In fact, cast your eye up to verse 33 of chapter uh, 13. The Lord Jesus stated there in verse 33, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come, and now I say unto you. The Lord Jesus had spoken these words to the Jews on two occasions. Back in John chapter 7, Whenever the authorities had come to arrest the Lord Jesus, to stop him preaching to the great crowds that he spoke to, the Lord Jesus said to the Jews, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am, thither ye cannot come. These Jews, they hadn't a clue where the Lord was going. As far as they were concerned, Jesus Christ was just another man. He had a normal human birth. They didn't understand where he came from, what his purpose in coming to earth was, or indeed where he was going. They thought that he was going on a speaking tour around the Greek-speaking Jews in the dispersion. They didn't fully understand the true meaning of the words of the Lord Jesus. Then over in John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus said pretty much the same thing. And again, they didn't have a clue. Their spiritual eyes hadn't been opened. The God of this world had blinded their eyes. And they were in darkness, even though the light of the world stood right in front of them. These disciples, they had witnessed all that. They had heard these similar words, but yet they never fully understood the full reality that Jesus Christ was going to the cross, that he would rise again for their justification. And now Jesus is opening up this truth yet again, and he's being very forcible, but he's doing it in such a tender way. The apostles have seen Judas Iscariot go out into the night. Simon Peter at this moment, he's shattered, because he's looking inward. 
Because the Lord Jesus has told them that he will deny him. And Simon Peter never thought he would stoop to such a level. Peter Shelsha. The rest of the apostles are downcast. And now the master ministers in such a wonderful way. And you'll notice here in verse 1 that the Savior speaks about a peace from God. He says, let not your heart be troubled. What a wonderful comfort the Savior spoke to them in that very hour. I think that becomes especially poignant whenever you think about how troubled the Savior himself must have been that night. Yet his heart of love goes out to these dear disciples. We're told up in verse 21 of chapter 13 that right in the middle of the exposure of Judas that the Savior was troubled in spirit. He was troubled by the betrayal of this man whom Christ had chosen to walk with him for three and a half years. He was troubled that hell was on the rampage against him. He was troubled that Judas Iscariot would go out into a lost sinner's hell. He was sorrowful. And as the God-man, he was able right to enter in right into the very suffering of those disciples that they were going through at that very time. I've already quoted it. It was the writer to the Hebrews that said, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knew how the disciples felt. Of course he knew it on an intellectual level because we proved that he knows what was in man. But not only did he know it on an intellectual basis, he knew it on an emotional basis. Far more than you and I can ever understand because he loves his sheep. The good shepherd knew his sheep. The good shepherd loves his sheep. Not in a shallow human love, but a love that is deeper than the deepest ocean. A love that can go higher than NASA can ever travel. A love that is wider than can ever be measured. He loves you and he loves me. He's touched by whatever we're going through on the seas of life at this very moment in time. Jesus demonstrated not only his knowledge of the needs of these men, but he was also addressing the needs of these men. He starts off this lovely discourse with words of peace. He says, let not your heart be troubled. I mean, how comforting that must have been for Big Peter. I mean, he's been told uh, just a few verses back that he, he doesn't really know himself as well as what he thinks he does. That the Savior knows him in a more intimate way. That that very night that he'll betray the Lord. He's being rebuked for something that he thinks that he will never do. He's been told that he will betray the very one that he has come to love in such a wonderful way. And in the midst of it all, the Savior says, Peter, let not your heart be troubled. How comforting for, wasn't it the words of the Lord that calmed these apostles' troubled hearts before? You remember that whenever the Lord came on the sea of Galilee walking on the water, it was night, on the misty night, and the Savior comes walking on the water and they see this figure coming, and they're astonished, they're fearful, they're frightened. And then out of the night comes those words, it is I, be not afraid. And it calmed their fear immediately. What about the night on the boat whenever the storm raged and the water was coming in on every side and they thought they were going down? 
The Lord stood up and he calmed the storm with just his very word. These men, they knew the power of the word of God. They had seen the power from the lips of Christ over that three and a half year year period of ministry. And in this crisis moment, here's another tender word from the Lord. Let not your heart be troubled. I wonder, is that God's word to someone this morning? Maybe this morning you can empathize with these disciples because you've come in to the meeting this morning and you're despondent. You're even in a fog of depression this morning. Those new year great hopes and dreams, they've faded already. There's news that you've got this week that has shattered your world and you've come in, you're downcast and you're despondent, you're depressed, even apprehensive. The Saviour whispers to you this morning, let not your heart be troubled. You've seen the way that I've kept you down through your life. You've relied on my promises. You know the power of my words. You know that my presence goes with you and I will give you rest. And just like I said to my disciples 2,000 years ago, I say to you this morning, let not your heart be troubled. Well, why are you not to let your heart be troubled? Well, look again at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now, this verse has been debated throughout the centuries by well-respected commentators, and it all stems from whether that word believe is in the imperative or whether it is really saying you believe in God. I think it's probably in the imperative believe in God. Have your faith in the sovereign God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son. And Jesus Christ here again is asserting once again that he is God. That he is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And that's where true belief this morning is. It's not just an intellectual belief in God. For even the demons have that as, as James said. This is true faith. This is true trust. This is saving faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ as God. That's how we don't let our hearts be troubled. Because we believe in God this morning. We believe in the creator and the sustainer of all things. We believe in the sovereign God who has everything under control this morning. No matter what circumstance. You find yourself in personally, as a church assembly, even nationally this morning, we can rely on the sovereign God, for God hasn't abdicated the throne. God is still on the throne. You and I can personally say of the sovereign God this morning that he's my Lord, and he's my God. And he's interested in every single detail that's going on in your life and in my life. And when my faith is firmly anchored on him, that's whenever my heart can't be troubled. Even as I face the demands and the difficulties of everyday life. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And dear friend, this morning, he'll never let you die. He would go on down in the chapter in verse 27 of chapter 14. He would say those tender words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you see the wonderful peace this morning that Jesus Christ brings? It's a peace that the world can never give us. 
It's an all-encompassing peace. And it only comes from the one who is the Prince of Peace. You see, whenever you and I came to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, we were given peace with God. Sinful man was reconciled to a holy God. We were given peace with God. And as we walk the road of life, we're given that peace that passeth all understanding. That's the peace of God, which keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. One day the Lord Jesus will come again. And he'll reign on David's throne in his millennial kingdom. And he will bring true peace to the world. All wars will cease and Jesus will reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run. And on that day there'll be peace from God. He's the Prince of Peace. And in the midst of these disciples in their darkest moment, he gives them the peace of God. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's what we need to do this morning, dear friend. And no matter what circumstance that we face, believe in God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn writer put it, trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting him whatever befall, trusting Jesus, that is all. The peace of God. But come with me to verse 2. I want you to see the place of God. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus is obviously talking there about heaven. Now, whenever these disciples heard these words, remember that they only had the Old Testament scriptures, which doesn't really give us a full revelation of what heaven is really like. They would have known about this place referred to as paradise. They would have known about Abraham's bosom. Those were familiar terms to them. But remember, they didn't have the full revelation of God the way you have, you and I have. And the New Testament sheds new light on this place called heaven. And if you want to do a study on heaven, go to Revelation 21. You'll find some of the sweetest verses. But the Lord Jesus refers to heaven as my father's house. That's a phrase that he used just one other time throughout his earthly ministry to describe the temple. In fact, it was the phrase that he used. You remember he went in and he cleansed the temple of the money changers. He said, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. He talked about the physical being my father's house. But now he's talking about heaven being the father's house. Throughout the New Testament, heaven is referred to in various ways. In Hebrews 11, it's referred to as a country. That reminds us of its, its vastness. Revelation 21 is referred to as a city. That reminds us of the inhabitants that are within it, the vast amount of inhabitants. In 2 Peter 1, it's called a kingdom. Reminds us of its orderliness. In Luke 23, it's referred to as paradise, which reminds us of its delights. But here in John 14, the Lord Jesus refers to heaven as my Father's house, which simply reminds me this morning of home. Home, that place where you feel safe. Home, a place where we're loved and we're cared for and we're protected. Where we enjoy that stability and warmth whenever we can be the true us. 
home, a place where we are welcome, a place where we can go and we can shut out the strife and the distraction of the world outside. Home, a place where loved ones are together. Home. See, heaven, if you're a believer this morning, is our our home. It's not really that house that you'll go home and have your dinner, and that's only temporary. Home is glory. Was it Jim Reeves that sang that song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are led up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door, for I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Heaven is our home. We're only pilgrims here passing through. This earth is not our home. Ulster is not our home. Heaven is our home. And Jesus said that in my Father's house are many mansions. That word mansions, or some translations put it rooms, it really means abiding places. My granny used to hate whenever anybody read it as rooms. She didn't want to be shortchanged on a mansion. But uh, the dwelling place that we have in heaven is far more marvelous than you and I can ever imagine. In fact, as much as the scriptures reveal to us this morning about heaven, there's no words adequate to describe just how beautiful it will be. We're told, of course, about the streets of gold. We're told about the gates of pearl. We're told about the crystal flowing river. We're told that there'll be mansions. But you remember whenever the Apostle Paul was caught up into heaven, he knew he could never describe what he saw. In fact, it was so wonderful that he didn't even know whether he was in the body or whether he was out of the body. It could have been in the body, which reminds us it's tangible. Heaven is a real place. But it was so awesome, it was so other dimensional, that he didn't know whether he was out of the body. But what amazes me about that is that Paul never thought that that was a frightening sight. It was so wonderful to him. It was so attractive to him. It was so thrilling to him. That afterwards he had a great desire to depart for glory. To be with Christ, which he said was far better. See, heaven's a wonderful place. But not only does the Lord Jesus say that there are mansions, he said there are many mansions. See, that tells me this morning that there's ample room for all. There's room for all of the redeemed that have died in Christ in days gone by. There's room for you and I this morning as God's redeemed people still pilgriming here below. But let me tell you, dear friend, if you're unsaved this morning, there's still room in heaven for you. There's still room at the cross for you. And don't you want heaven to be your destination whenever you die? Well, then you have to come through Jesus. Jesus says in verse 6 that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the exclusive way. He is the exclusive truth. He is the exclusive life. And if you want to get to heaven, then you have to come through the Lord Jesus. Jesus says in verse 2, If it were not so, I would have told you. Had there not been room for all believers... In these mansions, he wouldn't have told us, for God cannot lie. His object is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth. And he assures us this morning through his word and through his spirit 
that this is our home for Jesus continues and he says, I go to prepare a, a place for you. Now again, think of the context here. In just a few moments time, they will leave the upper room. They'll go down those steps onto the streets of Jerusalem. They'll cross over the Kidron Valley. They'll ascend and they'll go into the Garden of Gethsemane. The next day the Saviour will be nailed to that Roman gibbet on Calvary's cross. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to the cross for you. I'm going to prepare the way for you to go to heaven. I'll go and procure your redemption. I'll reconcile sinful man to a holy God. I'll take the wrath of God that was your due. I'll be your great high priest. I'll offer that sacrifice for sin so that you don't go to that place called hell like you deserve. I'll do it all. I'll prepare the way because without me there is no way. Jesus would say, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus went to prepare a way so that you and I could go to this prepared place. For a prepared people involved the preparation of the cross. It involved the Lord Jesus defeating death, hell, and the grave forever. It involved the ascension And this morning Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father because redemption is complete. And one day very soon he will come again. Not only do we see the peace of God this morning, we see the place of God. But notice finally this morning we see the pledge of God in verse 3. The Lord Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. He's told his disciples about this period of separation that is ahead. But they're not to fear because their faith, their trust is in him. And not only that, that on that day there will be everlasting reunion. And Jesus makes a tremendous pledge here. He says, I will come again. Do you notice that it's a personal pledge? He says, I will come again. See, Jesus won't just send for us. He will come to the clouds to bring us to the the Father's house. I mean, you think of how precious you and I must be to him this morning. For him to descend to the clouds, to bring us home to be with him. Paul could say in 1 Thessalonians 4, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Jesus Christ is coming personally. Dr. Luke records that after the resurrection, those disciples, they were on the the Mount of Olives and they were looking up into heaven. The angels announced, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus Christ will come personally. Jesus will come literally and he promises to come definitely. He says, I will. Now that's definitive, isn't it? As sure as he came the first time, so too will he come the second time. Just as prophecy was fulfilled in his first coming, so too will prophecy be fulfilled in his second coming. Jesus Christ came literally the first time, and Jesus Christ will come literally the second time. He says, I will come again. But not only will I come again, but he says, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. You see, as beautiful as the Father's house is, as wonderful 
as the Father's house is, and it is. You think of Revelation 21 just for a moment, where told there's no more sickness there. There's no more pain there. There's no more death there. There's no more crying there. There's no more hospital visits. No more funerals. No more separation. And all of those things will be, will be wonderful. But you know the wonder of all wonders this morning? Jesus will be there. And we will dwell in the Father's house forever with him. The hymn writer said, friends, I have loved, friends will be there I have loved long ago, and joy like a river around me will flow, yet just a smile from my Saviour I know, twill through the ages be glory for me. You see, the glory of heaven this morning is Christ. The object of heaven is Christ. Our worship in heaven is Christ. The light of heaven is Christ. And it's ours this morning. That's our inheritance, all because of what Christ has done for us. This is our blessed hope. This is our great assurance. Can we not say, on the, as John did on the Isle of Patmos, even so come, Lord Jesus. I wonder, dear friend, this morning, if he came this morning before we even left this building, would you be ready to meet him? Would you be ready to meet him as your saviour? Or would you be left behind for that period of, of tribulation? Dear Christian friend this morning, if you were to come this morning, would we be ready to meet him? Would we stand before him ashamed of the things that we had planned to do that we, we never did? Those things that we, we wanted to do but we just never got around to it? Or are we working for the Lord? Are we looking to the clouds as we work for the Lord? For Jesus Christ has said, I will come again. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word to our hearts. We thank you that in the midst of trials and tribulations, we can come to the word of God and find comfort in it. And we thank you for the words of the Lord Jesus this morning. Let not your heart be troubled. And Father, we recognize that so often we can be troubled as we live here below. But we recognize that whenever we look to Jesus, whenever we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, and as we look at God the Father, we thank you that we have no cause to fear. And we haven't been given the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And we thank you for that this morning, Lord. We thank you this morning that on the road of life we go with the one that has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And Lord, we thank you at the end of life we have this glorious promise of being in the Father's house and dwelling with the Father and the Son for all of eternity. We recognize, Lord, that the days are growing darker. That the signs of the times all around point to a soon returning Saviour. And Father, we pray that each one of us in this church this morning would be ready for whenever you come or call. We ask, Lord, that those without Christ would make the preparation to go to this place called heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. And those of us that are your children, Lord, that you would enthuse us to work for you. Because we realize that night cometh when no man can work. Help us, Lord, on that day not to be ashamed as we stand before thee. 
But Lord, help us in these days to keep going, to keep motivated, for the day is coming when you will call us to the clouds in the rapture. Lord, write your word upon our hearts. Be with those that must leave us. Continue, Lord, as we gather around your table to remember the sacrifice of the Saviour in his own appointed way. For we ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen.